always a blessing to begin the worship service and with uh, observing the believer's baptism. So uh, let me take a few moments to explain briefly what baptism is and what it's not. Can y'all hear me okay? Is the microphone on? Okay, very good. Um, first of all, when we baptize somebody, what we're not doing is saving them, all right? We're not washing away their sin. When somebody's baptized, they're, kind of, they're going public with their faith. They're wanting to make it very clear that God's already done a work in their heart and caused them to, to turn from their sin and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when someone's standing here in the baptismal waters, it's as if we could look upon them and they're saying, Look, I'm admitting that I have sinned against God before all of you and before God. And I want you to know that the old me was crucified on the cross. But because of God's work in me, because I'm in Christ by faith, the old me is dead and the old me is buried. So when they go under the water, that's a picture of how the old person was dead and buried. And when they come up out of the water, of course, that's a picture of how they were raised again like Jesus rose again three days later. So baptism is a picture of our identity with Christ. That the old me is dead and buried and raised again. I'm not the new person anymore. And so this morning, Tim Laswell's come. Tim... As you know, he's our minister of music. Yeah. Been here about what, a year and a half, two years. And, and uh, here a couple of weeks ago, we've been going through Pilgrim's Progress on Wednesday night as a, one of the small group, men's small groups in our church. And Tim was sharing with us his own uh, progress in the spiritual, in his spiritual journey, his life. And as, as he uh, shared that, uh, he shared about 21 years ago when he was 13, I believe it is, and how he was baptized at that time, and, and then later on, uh, he didn't really think really anything happened really during that time, though, not just during his baptism, but he just, he's not sure he was converted then either. And, uh, but, but that probably came later on in life, and I, I spoke up and I said, so you were baptized later on then, right? And he's, <laughs> he looked at me like a deer in the headlights and said, no, I've not. And so that was an awkward moment in our men's Bible study that night. Amen. Uh, so beware if you come to Pilgrim's Progress study. But anyway, we talked a little bit later and had lunch at Wendy's a couple days later and we're talking a little bit more and, and just to make sure we're not overthinking anything. And uh, Tim, uh, he, one thing he knows for sure, he's saved now just like we were talking about, right? And that's the main thing. Baptism don't save you. But we do want to be biblical in our baptism, be baptized as a believer. And he said, you know, I just can't, I just can't say for sure that I was really born again the first time I was baptized. And he said, I just want to be sure I'm being biblical. So I praise God for that humility and that example to all of us. And so he's come this morning to express that publicly before us in baptism this morning. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. So Brother Tim, yes. come on, step up here, brother. Brother Tim, based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit. All God's people say amen. Amen. You want to say anything, brother? <laughs> now listen, there's room at the cross for you. There's room up here in the baptistry too if you need to be biblically baptized. And uh, we got towels. ain't got to change your clothes, but we can take care of that. All right? But the first thing you need to do is be sure you're trusting only in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. And we'd love to talk with you about that before the day's over today. We're so glad to have the Boyce Vocal Band with us this morning. They're going to continue to lead us in worship. But first of all, I want to make one announcement to you, and that's this. 
is uh, on October the 26th is our fall festival. That's going to be at the home of Matt and Trish Fowler. And uh, we want everybody to come. We want you to bring somebody with you, some, preferably somebody that's unchurched or unsaved, so we can get to know them a little bit. So that'll be October the 26th. We're looking forward to that. Make, uh, make a note of that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Lord, we rejoice that you have saved our souls for those of us that are believers. Lord, you've taken care of the, of the, the most important thing in our life. And so, Father, we thank you and rejoice that Tim's come today to express, uh, Lord, his own obedience, Lord, and, and how your uh, grace has worked in his heart, repentance. And so, Father, we give you praise for that. We pray that you bless him and his walk. We thank you for the humility you've wrought in his own life and the example he is to us already. Lord, uh, we pray even now for those among us who have not repented and trusted in Christ, that that would take place. Or maybe we've not been biblically baptized and as believers, Father, I pray that you would show us that. Lord, I pray now that for the blessing of an awareness of your presence, that Christ will be exalted and his name be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. While these fellows are getting this in place here, you can go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. Matthew chapter 18. Nick, come over here a second. So Nick Foster here uh, worked hard to get our um, outreach uptown last night. Boyce Vocal Band came and sang for us and did a great job, and Nick kind of worked behind the scenes to make all that happen. He did a wonderful job. Thank you for doing that, Nick. We appreciate that. I got to pick on you for a minute. Uh, I pick on Nick a lot because he asked for it, and he gives it right back. So we have that mutual relationship, you know. Um, and uh, this morning, uh, Greg Bruton, Dr. Greg Bruton, he's responsible for this Boyce vocal band here. He's with us this morning, a professor at Southern Seminary and Boyce College, and we're glad glad you're here. And he was telling me that uh, uh, with Nick. Uh, communicate with me that we need to get Nick an earpiece for me, directly hooked up to me, for Nick to be able to talk to me anytime he wants to. And I said, what? <laughs> and uh, this is the second time Boyce has been here with us, but I'm not sure they're going to be coming back or not. <laughs> but you know what? I have decided to forgive. I'm forgiving you, Dr. Bruton. Well, we're going to have you all back, the Lord willing. Brother, you can have a seat. I'm just picking on you. I'm going to talk with you about forgiveness this morning, and it's not a lighthearted topic. So that may be just about as much giggling and laughing as we're going to do. So I want you to take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 if you haven't already. Please stand with me as we honor God in the reading of his word. Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. Verse 29, So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Verse 34. And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we bow again this morning because we always need you and we need you to help us understand your word. We need your Holy Spirit to illuminate it so that it's not just facts we're beginning to learn or understanding, but it actually makes a difference in our lives and takes root into our heart, changes us that you even cause a willingness for us to line up according with it. And you might affect us, Lord, because it's telling us who you are. So, Lord, do this, please. Help us with this difficult issue of forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Things go viral on YouTube and social media all the time, and one of the most recent things in the past couple of weeks is uh, the video of a man whose brother had been uh, shot by a woman who had entered his apartment who thought that was her apartment, but it was somebody else's apartment, and she was a police officer who had gotten off work, and if I've even got the facts right about that, and so she shot this man, and she's been sentenced. She was convicted, I think, of manslaughter and sentenced to 10 years in prison, and and the video went viral because in the courtroom, I guess maybe at her sentencing, that the brother of the man that was killed asked if he could hug this woman who had shot his brother. And he said a few words about how he did not have any hard feelings towards her and he'd wished she would not go to prison. And he gave her a hug. And, of course, this went around social media and, and people uh, were just wowed by this expression of forgiveness, and rightly so. An amazing, unusual, abnormal expression of compassion and forgiveness towards somebody. and I mean, Christians and non-Christians and maybe even atheists probably commended this act of forgiveness because by and large, the world agrees that forgiveness is good for you. Maybe you don't understand that we need to be forgiven by God, but that forgiveness toward one another is a good thing for relationships. Most people in the world would say that. If you're going to get along with each other, you've got to learn to forgive. 
And perhaps the video goes viral and so many people are affected by it because they agree that forgiveness is good for our relationships. It's also good for our health, you know. If you let bitterness and stuff get in you, I mean, most people in the world agree that it's going to affect your physical health, your mental health. It's not good for you not to forgive. And then, of course, there's some people in the world, they see forgiveness as a weakness. There's certain cultures in the world, if you forgive, that's, that's showing weakness. And certainly that's true in our culture to an extent as well. And then others say there are limits to forgiveness. In Srebrenica and Bosnia, where we have been the last four summers, we've run into people who their father or perhaps a cousin was murdered. 7,000 men and boys rounded up. Women were told to get on buses in this town of Srebrenica. And mass graves have been found with boys, my uh, boys, uh, the age of my boys, and men murdered. And when you talk to some of these people 20, 25 years later, some of them were little kids during that time, uh, there's a, certainly a hurt that's there. And for some, there is the phrase that's written in graffiti uh, that's written over their hearts as well. Never forget never forgive not only are we not going to forget this we're never going to forget so so for some people there are actually limits to forgiveness you know there's the old saying that was coined I think about from an essay in 1770 something you've heard it probably said it you know fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me there are limits to forgiveness in some people's mind let it happen one time if I let it happen to me again then shame on me for not being wise and putting boundaries up, and perhaps there's something to learn from that. But, well, if we look in verse 21 in your Bible, you can see Peter was asking that sort of question as far as limits on forgiveness. He, he says in verse 21, what's his, what's his question? If you're looking at your Bible, it says, how often? How often do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? One uh, commentator points out that in rabbinic tradition, that if you forgave somebody three times, that was the limit. You forgive them three times. You, but fourth time, you don't have to forgive them. So Peter volunteered seven times, according to D.A. Carson. Seven times. Is that enough? That's the number of completion, at least what, we're, what we've been told our life. And Jesus' response is, according to the translation you're using, 77 times or 70 times seven. We might think in our minds, well... Seven times, or do I count to 49 or 490 or whatever it is? Well, that's not the point. Jesus' point was there's no limit to how many times you would forgive somebody. Peter's question comes in context, of course, in Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, it begins by Jesus telling the disciples exactly who it is the kind of people that's going to make up the kingdom of God. And the kind of people that are in the kingdom of God, if you begin reading it, verse 1 in chapter 18, are those who have faith like a child. And those who have faith like a child, God loves. He loves like a shepherd loves his sheep and would go after his straying sheep. And he goes on to tell us about church discipline and restoration. If somebody uh, sins against us, he wants his children who are in his kingdom that he cares for like a shepherd who'd go after a, a straying sheep. He wants us to have the same kind of love for one another. He wants us to get along. So he tells the church that, you know, if somebody were to sin against us, we're to take step one of love and go to them and talk to them. If that don't work, take step two and go to them, bring somebody else, or take step three and go to them in love and tell it to the church. And the church is supposed to love them enough, if necessary, step four and treat them like an unbeliever. 
treat them like they never were saved in hopes that they'll repent. He wants us to love one another enough that we'd go to them or even send an army after them because that's how much God loves his children. And so the main thrust of this passage of scripture, the main point here in relation to all of that is this, is that if we're children of God, we must forgive like a child of the king. When it comes to forgiveness, we don't take our P's and Q's, you know, we don't take, a, take any advice from the world that there are limits to forgiveness or there are uh, weaknesses in forgiveness, you know, or this is how we forgive, well, we don't forgive give that. No, we don't forgive like somebody in the world. We forgive like a child of the king. And so Jesus tells a story here about a king that we're going to look at. And in this story and in these words that Jesus has already said here, there's three principles of forgiveness I want to share with you this morning. Three principles of forgiveness. And the first one is this. We must always forgive. That right there is enough to rock your world. <laughs> we must always forgive. That there is no limit to how many times we would forgive. Jesus said seven times and or Peter said seven times, Jesus said 77 times, or 70 times seven, and, and we might think to ourselves, well, let's count it off. Now I don't have to forgive anymore. How well would that work in a marriage? We've been married going on 16 years, and I think I reached my limit probably the first month at least, maybe quicker. How well would that work with parents and kids? While the kids would be running off or we'd be sending them off all the time. If there were 49 times, I mean, we're all the time. If, we're gonna, if it's going to work in relationships and just our marriages or in our families, we've got to forgive. And Jesus says forgive everything. Forgive all the time. That's, that's the point. And he fleshes it out as we, begin to, we continue to read the story. And hear the story that Jesus talks about, about this king if you look in verse 23, uh, he says the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And so the king finds out he's got a servant that owes him how much? Look at the end of verse 24. You're looking at your Bible? 10,000 talents. Well, what in the world's a talent? I don't know either. But what I do know is this, from doing a little studying on it and considering inflation, it could have been as much today as a billion dollars. No wonder the scripture goes on and says later, he could not pay. I mean, this is an incredible debt. You might even say it's almost like an infinite debt. There is no way he's going to be able to pay that kind of debt. So what's the king say is going to happen to him? Well, look at your Bible. Since he could not pay, verse 25, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the response of the servant is to fall upon his knees and cry out for mercy and plead with him, right? Have mercy, have patience, and I'll pay you everything. We already found out he can't pay it. How's he going to do it? And out of pity for him, verse 27, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. What we're finding here is not only is there 
no limit to forgiveness how many times? You know, Peter says how often in verse 21? Jesus says 70 times 7, 77 times 7. No limit to how many times? But when we consider the 10,000 talents at the end of verse 24, what we find out is that no matter how often we're sinned against and no matter how bad we're sinned against, no matter how severe we're sinned against, no matter how much we've been sinned against, we're to forgive. So forgive always, no matter how often and no matter how much. And I want you to notice the word I didn't read in verse 23. Look at it. What's the first word of verse 23? What's that conjunction? Therefore. So what's Jesus just said? He said, I tell you, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore. So what's going on here? He's saying, in light of this truth, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is what's true about the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what God is telling us here, God never tells us to do something that, that is not like him, all right? And so when he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this, what we learn is that a child of the king has to forgive because this is the way the king forgives. This is who our God is. This is the God in heaven that no matter how much or how often we have sinned against him, through faith in Jesus Christ, he will forgive. Amen? He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? So all that sin and all that shame and, and those struggles we fight with and we don't want to do it again and we find ourselves struggling with the same thing again, we come to God and we cry out, oh God, forgive me. He, guess what? He does. And he says that's how a child of the king is to forgive. Well, there's objections and questions that come along with a topic like this and I'm going to try to address some of those as we go along. One, one question is, you know, if we need to always forgive, one question might be, what about discipline? What about consequences? What about setting boundaries? And my answer to that question is yes. <laughs> I believe that's the biblical answer to that question. We see in God disciplining, chastising his children as a, as a father does his children. The Lord chastises us. So along with that, there will be consequences. There will be things that follow us. There will be scars for our sin. People may look at us awkward when they find out about our sin. Our reputation may be tarnished for a while or for a long time or forever here on this earth. And yes, there are boundaries that have to be set. Somebody sins against you and they sin against you again. Maybe they do the same thing again for your own safety or the welfare of others, there are certain boundaries that you put in place so that you protect those that are under your authority. We have to do that as a church with certain procedures we have with, in, in relation to who works in our nursery and things like that, right? If a person has a certain background legally, then, you know, even though the Lord's forgiven that person, we have boundaries that have been set. And so it is in many things. We have to set boundaries. I mean, my kids would love this verse if the application is, Dad, 
supposed to forgive. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry too. But I'm still going to punish you. And it's still going to hurt. But it sure does help a lot, son, for you to come to me and, and say that you're sorry if they've come in the right spirit. So sure, there's boundaries that need to be set. So please hear that clearly. There's certain precautions that need to be made. But that doesn't mean they have, that has to happen before you forgive. You still forgive, right? But you do so responsibly is what we're saying. What we, when we look at Scripture, you, re, you do so responsibly, which is a loving thing to do. Somebody might ask, what, what about repentance? What if they've repented or not? The Bible don't say anything about here about repentance. It just says forgive. This case here, this guy in this story, he couldn't repent. He just said he's sorry. Sometimes that's all a person can do. So what are the signs that a brother has repented? And I've got a copy of an article by a lady from the Gospel Coalition that out there on the, work, the desk back there if you want to pick up a copy or it might be helpful for some of you. But what are the signs that a brother in Christ has repented? I'm just going to go through these really quickly. You ain't going to have time to write them down probably. Eight signs. Well, they'll, they're appalled by sin. So one indication that somebody is really sorry is that they're appalled by their sin. They're, they're abhorred by it. Two, they seek to make amends to you or to others. Try to make it right. Three, they accept consequences. They accept the consequences. You know, I, I dug this hole and I'm going to have to live in it. Instead of trying to make any excuses why this ain't fair to me and all this kind of stuff. No, you did this and this is what's coming. They, number four, they don't expect or demand forgiveness. Jennifer Greenberg writes, they don't expect or demand forgiveness. Somebody starts demanding you forgive them, probably something not right in their heart. You've got to forgive me. Jesus forgives everybody. You ever heard that before? Somebody manipulating forgiveness from you? Number five, they feel the depth of pain they've caused. You can sense that they feel the depth of pain that they've caused you and others. Number six, they change their behavior. <laughs> they stop. They stop doing it. They're, they're taking steps toward getting help. Number seven, this is real important. They grant space to heal. They give you time. Sometimes boundaries have to be set for a while before things can be the way they used to be. And they don't try to force those boundaries down quick. They understand you need some space and they give it to you. A lot of times people manipulate you. Number eight, they're all struck by forgiveness. They're in awe that, they, that you would forgive them or that God would forgive them. The reason I mention that at this point because I think it's helpful but the question comes up does it matter if they've repented which I've already sought to answer um, you still have to forgive I mean, when you look at this passage of scripture you forgive whether they repent or not God commended his love while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? So, does it matter if they repented? 
You still need to forgive. Only to the extent does it matter that you need to assess their repentance so you can discern, discern how to set up boundaries. You forgive. Now, based on how they repent, based on seeing signs of repentance, here's the boundaries I need to set up. Here's the cautions I need to take. If I really sense that they've forgiven, I mean they've repented, then perhaps things are not as stringent as, they, as I thought. But if you don't see repentance, you keep those boundaries up and you keep those precautions until you see it. So number one is forgive always. The second principle as we look at this passage of Scripture is forgive from the heart. Forgive from the heart. I'm jumping really right to the last verse where Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So as the story goes, you find out, here's this man who owed this debt. The king forgives his debt, and what's he do? He goes out and finds a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii. That's a lot less than 10,000 talents. It's still a big sum. Still owes a lot of money. And How does the forgiven servant treat his fellow servant? He begins to choke him, and he says, you pay back what you owe. And then he has him hauled off and thrown in jail. Doesn't show him any mercy or compassion at all. And they go and tell the king, and how's the king feel about that? The king says, I showed you mercy, you should show mercy too. And so this once forgiven servant doesn't show that he truly understands forgiveness and he's tortured and he's thrown over to the jailers to be tortured, to pay his debt that he can't really pay. And Jesus says here, so it is going to be to every one of you, every one of you who does not forgive his brother from his heart. Some of you might say, well, preacher, there's been some horrible things happen to me that you don't know about. I'm sure I don't. And, uh, and some of you might think to yourself, I can't forget what's happened to me. Nobody told you you had to forget. You might think, is, for, is, is forgiven the same thing as being able to forget about it? No, it's not. By God's grace, that can happen over time. You know, i got a scar on my leg. Don't worry, I ain't going to show you. When I was a kid, I climbed over a barbed wire fence going fishing behind the house. And when I climbed over that barbed wire fence, I cut a scar right there in my leg. And it's bleeding real good, and I just covered up my leg and went fishing. And, uh, well, a few weeks went by, and it still bled a little bit, and I thought, I ain't worried about it. And I got a big scar on my leg today. I needed stitches and that scar wouldn't be there. You know, I don't know if you can hardly tell it today, but it's still there. And I thought about it, you know, thought about saying something about it. I was a kid. I didn't care really. And, and uh, over time it quit hurting and I just didn't think about it. I never think about it at all until just this week I was thinking about this. And sin, you know, it scars you. And sometimes over time you think maybe less about it. But I tell you what, if you sit around and pick that scar and pick that wound, it ain't going to get no better, Right? Or somebody else is picking it for you. Somebody else won't let you forget about it, right? That's how it is with forgetting. So let's, let's that forgetting part, forgiveness for that matter, it's all humanly impossible. We need God's grace for it. But forgetting is not the same thing as forgiveness. So I think the question comes up, 
when we, this second principle, forgive from the heart, when Jesus says that, and if you've not forgiven from the heart, that's gonna happen to you, what happened to that wicked servant. Boy, well, that gets our attention, don't it? Reminds us of Matthew chapter six in the Lord's Prayer. Where Jesus tells us, ask the Lord to forgive you, to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Don't think you've been forgiven if you don't forgive your debtors. So when he says forgive from the heart, the question comes up to me anyway is, how can I know? What, what does that mean? <laughs> that seems so subjective. How can I know I've forgiven my brother from my heart? Because we're probably sitting there saying, a whole bunch of us are sitting saying to ourselves this morning, I'm still remembering this. The scar still hurts. I can't forget it. I think I've forgiven, I've asked God to forgive, maybe I even said to the person I forgive, but I'm still not sure I've really forgiven them from the heart. How do I know? Well, when Jesus says from the heart, another place in scripture where he mentions the heart in the gospel of Matthew is Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. And this is what it says in Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That comes out of the heart. To forgive somebody from the heart first needs to ask ourselves, what am I doing and not doing? And if slander's coming out of your heart towards this person, sexual immorality to get even with this person, theft, any, anything evil's coming out of your heart to get back at this person, then you've not forgiven this person. So what are you not doing? What are you doing? Matthew chapter five, verse 44 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Sometimes somebody doesn't even think they need to be forgiven. What do you do? So it seems that if we're gonna ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to forgive from the heart? Have I forgiven from the heart? Then it means this. I'm striving to love this person. They've not repented, perhaps, or they have. Jesus says, love your enemies. They're still an enemy. In that case, that person's not repented, but you're still supposed to love them. So you're looking for ways to love them. They don't mean run up to them and give them a big holy kiss, give them a big hug every time you see them. Remember, the boundaries have to be set in some relationships. But it means you pray for them. Pray that they'd be saved if they're not. Pray that God would bless them if they are. It means you don't try to get revenge. You remember that vengeance belongs to the Lord. So, as John Piper says about this, avoid a sinful response to those that sin against you. If you want to know that you've forgiven from the heart, then avoid a sinful response. Are you doing that? Scripture tells us love keeps no record of wrongs. Child of God, don't we rejoice this morning that the reason God says love keeps no record of wrongs and gives us that instruction in 1 Corinthians 13 is because he keeps no record of wrongs towards his children? that the record that counts for the child of God is whether or not our name is in the book of life. Amen? For the child of God, that is. For those that are not, he does have books, and in those books are written the deeds of those 
who have sinned against him and have not repented and trusted in Jesus. And the dead are judged out of those books according to the book of Revelation. The main obstacle to forgiveness, as one pastor says, is that very few people, you know, if I forgive, very few people are going to know about it if I go about it the right way. Maybe a few people will, especially that person, hopefully. So the main obstacle to forgiveness is very few people are going to know about it if anybody will know that I've been hurt. I'm hurting here. This person really hurt me. And we want people to know about that sometimes. We want that person to know it. And they don't even think they've sinned against us. And yet we're supposed to forgive. And somehow there's this vindication that we want to have in the lives of others or in the eyes of that person. And that's really tough, isn't it? We want them to feel the, this pain that they've caused us and they don't get it. It's not, they, maybe they don't seem, seem like it's a big deal to them. So can we remain joyful, he asked. God knows. That person may not know what they did or think it's a big deal or may not repent. Maybe they know what they did and they don't care. And you're, and you're, you're trying to forgive them and try to have joy in the midst of this, but, but, but they, they're just going about their life like nothing ever really happened. They're just, you just need to get over this. No repentance. They don't know. Other people ought to know how much I hurt. Listen, God knows. He's the high, Jesus is the high priest. He knows. He knows what happened. What's happening. And the question is, is God enough? Is having God knowing your pain and knowing his empathy not having everybody else's empathy, if you could just tell everybody what happened to you and how wicked a person that is, but just having God's empathy, his sympathy, his compassion, his mercy, is God enough? And the answer is yes, we know he is. Oh God, help our unbelief. Help us to be satisfied in you so much that I can have joy even though I hurt really bad. And nobody else really seems to get it. Forgive always. Forgive from the heart. And thirdly and finally, forgive as a response to God's mercy. And hopefully you've already seen that here by now in this message. We certainly see it in the passage of Scripture. Somebody might say about this forgiveness thing, in my memory, I still remember what's happened. Or, and I've forgiven, but my memory of these things and the fact that it still hurts, my memory of this with the accompanying emotions of it can morph easily into resentment. So I've forgiven, I'm doing all right, and suddenly I see this person or this memory comes back, this something I see, something somebody says, I have a flashback of what happened, and now I can easily morph right back into resentment where I thought I was, I was okay. And all of a sudden I'm feeling angry about it again. And I'm hurting again. How do, they get, how do I get to the place that I'm forgiving my brother and how do I 
stay in that place and not morph back and forth and not just let myself become bitter again about something I thought I'd already dealt with? How do I, how do I stay in a place of, of real forgiveness and somewhat joy and peace in the midst of my hurt? Look at verse 32 in your Bible. Then his, his master summoned him and said to him, summoned the wicked servant, right? You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Now what, what had the wicked servant forgotten? He'd forgotten the mercy of God towards him. The mercy of the king. And of course the passage is about our king, the king of heaven. He'd forgotten the mercy of the king. So the third principle here, forgive as a response to God's mercy. The only thing that's going to bring us to a place of forgiveness and help us remain in that place of forgiveness or get back even to that place of forgiveness when we're morphing back into bitterness and resentment is the gospel, the good news of the mercy of God towards us. And that's what we see played out in this parable that Jesus tells us. This man acted like he'd forgotten what mercy he had received at times we may be the same way. And so again, somebody might say, but preacher, you don't know how much they hurt me. And no, I don't know. Kevin Talley was reminding me in the office this week um, something I say a lot of times, and I'm glad I'm known for saying this a lot of times. I'm not the only one ever said it, of course, but the worst thing that can happen to you has already happened to Jesus. I don't know how much you hurt, have been hurt or are still hurting. Some horrible, terrible, ungodly, unspeakable things. And I've had some people tell me some things um, as a pastor that, that I just can't imagine. But I know this. The worst and most horrible thing that can happen to you if you're a believer has not and will not happen. It happened to Jesus. We've received immense, infinite mercy in Christ. Our sins there are many, and His mercy is more. Amen? That's what I got to remember. Remember His mercy. And of course, Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 4 to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. But when we look at verse 34 and we see what happens to the wicked servant who has no understanding of forgiveness and of God's mercy and is punished, we're reminded for those of you that are unforgivers, you've not, your sins have not been forgiven by Christ. The worst thing that is that could happen to you, the worst thing that could ever happen to you has not yet happened to you. It's coming. If you've not yet trusted in Jesus Christ for your forgiveness of sins, there's nothing you experience. I mean, people talk about hell on earth all the time. Let me tell you something. There's no truth to that. No bad how it may feel that way. The worst thing that happened to you has not yet happened. But the best thing can today, if you'll trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, church.
I mean, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, one of the young men read it last night and talked about it. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <laughs> whoever. No matter what ethnic background they're from, no matter how much they've done, no matter how many times they've done it, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, be saved. Sin's forgiven. There's mercy for you. So let me leave you with uh, three, I guess, instructions. And then we'll pray. And before I leave that with you, I, I realize... This, all this is very complicated issues, and I would encourage you, if you need to talk with another brother or sister in Christ, maybe it's about something you've never talked about before, you need to do that. If you want to talk with me, I hope, I hope uh, I'm approachable enough that you feel like you can come and, and share that with me and talk with me, and, and I will pray with you. And, and There are trained, godly Christian counselors that we can refer people to. Sometimes people need that. Some of you probably need that to work with some issues you've not really worked through in your life before. It's humbling. We're broken people. And God gives us the church as a means to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus and make us the whole people he wants us to be. But here's, here's just really three quick instructions that you can just kind of pray this morning. One is one prayer you need to be, maybe you need to pray this morning is, Lord, help me forgive. Are you willing to do that? You think about this person, this situation, this circumstance, and Maybe you've already prayed this. Maybe you need to continue. Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to forgive. Sometimes I've prayed about certain relationships where I've sought to have reconciliation with somebody who just won't reciprocate it. Um, my my kind of ongoing prayer in those relationships is, Lord, help me. I, I'm trying my best to forgive. Lord, if this person should initiate uh, an attempt to reconcile. Lord, help me to be ready to respond in a gracious way. So I pray that that'll happen too. But Lord, help me to forgive. Secondly, maybe you need to pray this morning, Lord, help me to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you're the one that's offended. Maybe the Lord's dealing with you about how you've hurt somebody and you need to ask for forgiveness and make no excuses. Accept the consequences. Make restitution where you can. Humble yourself. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. And that really is the third instruction. Maybe your prayer this morning is, God, forgive me. Forgive me what I did last night. Forgive me how I hurt this person. Or God, forgive me my sins. I have, I, my sin is against you. God, forgive me and cleanse me and make me new. Make me a new person in Christ. And as we celebrate in Scripture, we know that he will absolutely, absolutely do that. He will completely forgive you and make you a new person. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Our Father, we thank you that for the truth of Scripture. and Lord, that, that you love us enough, you love your children, that uh, you would give us the church to love us and when we've offended one another and give us instructions and even authority to deal with sin in the church. But Father, you love us and, um, and you've shown us your mercy in Jesus Christ. And we know that the, the King of heaven, the King of kings has come and laid down his life for us. And so Lord, we pray that we would, 
we would reciprocate his mercy. Lord, we would show that to others. Lord, if we've not received his mercy, that uh, you would work that in our hearts and cause us to turn and trust in Jesus. I pray for your flock, Lord. For men and women and boys and girls right, sitting right here in this room. Some have been hurt really deeply. Some have been hurt by Christians and some have been hurt by non-Christians. Maybe, maybe they can't really talk about it to anybody else but just a very few people. Lord, I pray that you please heal them, Lord. I pray that the hurt will be less and that they'll be able to help others because of it and you get the glory. Lord, I, if you're dealing with people this morning and I believe you are, Lord, that, that they'd obey, Lord, that you give them grace to obey what you're telling them to do. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a closing song together this morning. And as we sing, I'm going to be standing at the front. And I'm going to be singing and worshiping the Lord too. But as I'm standing there singing, you're welcome to come and pray up here if you'd like to by yourself or come and I'll pray with you. Bring somebody with you and pray. But let's worship the Lord, pray together right now. Let's stand together as you guys lead us. Amen. You can be seated. We're getting ready to close in prayer and I think Steve Wazen is going to come and close us in prayer this morning and, and uh, these ladies just keep on praying as long as they want to. We ain't no rush, right? But uh, this morning before we leave, I'm going to be standing at the back doors. If you're visiting with us today, love the chance to meet with you, chat with you. If you're here and you just need somebody to talk to, pray, pray with, you know, I'm, I'm available. I'll be standing back there too and love, to, love the chance to talk with you. You know what? Uh, uh, God loves you all much and, uh, and he, he really does. And uh, I love you too. And uh, one of these days we're going to be with the Lord. <laughs> and uh, walk up to Michelle and say, Michelle, <laughs> I'm just picking on you, Michelle, but we're here because you're standing right there. We're, we did it. I mean, he did it. <laughs> we didn't do nothing. We're here. I ain't got to sing Rock of Ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee any longer because I'm here. I don't, have, I don't need you to pray. Lord, help me to hide in you because I'm here. It's, that, that persevering is over, right? So we need to keep each coming to church each Sunday and meeting together and reminding ourselves of that, that the day is coming. That's why we come to church, encouraging one another and exhorting one another because the day's coming, the scripture tells us. Well, I won't preach another sermon. Steve, come on and close in Perth. Show your appreciation to these guys from Boyce Bible College for coming this morning. They did a wonderful job leading us. Steve's going to close us in prayer, and I, and I know that uh, before you leave, you, you'll want to go by and, and maybe meet these guys. If you haven't already, they're up here, and maybe some of them will be standing at the table back there. You'll be sure and do that as well. Thank you, Nick. Um, should have gave that earpiece after all. Just teasing. Um, we, uh, we want to help supplement some of the costs for Boyce Bible College. I'm going to ask uh, two of our deacons or two of the men, if you would, to grab a couple offering plates and, uh, and stand at the back, and we just want to take up a little special offering. We're, we're already helping out some with that anyway, but if you want to help a little more with that, uh, I know you may not be prepared for it, but uh, we'll have a couple guys standing back there to help with that this morning. So you give as you feel led to that. Brother Steve, would you close us? Let's pray. Lord, we've been blessed by the music as we've been more warned by the message. Lord, let them both be to our edification and to your glory.
These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, we have been to space and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. 
That is the gospel.